Wonderful. Coffee? It is. I don't drink coffee anymore. Ed. Yep, yep. Uh, well, I don't know. It's at home. But um, uh, my, I have this morning my uh, decaf ginger tea with blackberry honey. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You may want me to make it for you. It, it may, it's, it's my favorite. It's my go-to drink right now. Oh, it's your favorite, yeah. Yeah, while well, I'm letting go of caffeine for at least a season. What about you? What, what, do you guys have a favorite place to go and drink? Karma Coffee. That's by oh, far my favorite. Karma. <laughs> and what's your favorite drink when you go there? Do you have a... Well, it's a very... Uh, it's called Wildflower, and it's a very fancy drink, but it's just, I love Wild it. Flower? Wildflower? Wildflower. It has it lavender coffee? in it. It's coffee. Okay. It's coffee. It has coffee in it somewhere. It tastes really good, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a June special right now, but I get it all year long. Oh. So, now. It's a June special? It's a June special. Did they make it a special because you ordered it somewhere? No. I found it. <laughs> no. They just have a list every month that rotates. Okay. Do you have this a... one's for June. Do you have a favorite? Uh, you're a Starbucks gal, aren't you? I enjoy Starbucks coffee. I, I like to know that what I get is going to taste the same each time. <laughs> but I have to tell um, on Matt when Trent was opening, I was getting coffee for he and Jake one morning. So I texted Riley and I texted Lindsay. Thank you. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm just doing a coffee run, you know, just to show appreciation. I said, what do you think? you know, Matt would like. And Lindsay was so sweet. She sent me like four different places with your favorite drink at each place. <laughs> she really, really, she sweet. knows. Yeah. She so, does so a wonderful job. So you have a favorite job. like wherever you go. Like, yes. you're like if somebody offers this, I can yeah. get along and find something. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 My goodness. Not at the same day. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't sleep. Oh, are we so. too close? Um, you, you guys are confusing me with all the options with favor. What? Just keep it this? simple. Ginger tea with blackberry honey and uh, do it at home. And life could be a lot simpler. And cheaper. Yeah, and cheaper. And, uh, you know, that, that's the crazy thing. It seems like in life, whether it's coffee drinks or the best Mexican restaurant or, or the best kind of music, or, everybody has their favorites. Mm -hmm. Favorites, favorites, favorites. And... You know, it's one thing to have favorites, but the Bible tells us not to show favoritism. Mm -hmm. And so this morning we are going to be exploring that. And the topic of our uh, talk this morning is favoritism. Who? Me? Uh, but before we get into the meat of the content, let me review because we are studying James. And uh, James, we kind of subtitled it a transforming faith. James is considered the oldest of the New Testament books, so it was written before all of the works of Paul and the great articulation of the gospel. James is assuming the gospel is already understood and has been received because James is writing, we see in the very intro, the dispersion of the church. So he's writing to the church, those folks who have already made a commitment to the gospel. And James, in that first chapter, we saw that true faith or true religion transforms a person. It, um, uh, in that first chapter, it uses the analogy of a mirror. 
You can't look at the mirror and avoid what's going on inside of you. That's what the Word of God is, a mirror. And James and all the subjects, such as the first one we looked at, how you respond to trials, reveal something about yourself. And then also the discrepancy between hearing the Word of God and then whether you do it or not, that discrepancy reveals something about you. And it seems as though we get to the end of James, chapter 1, and something just explodes in James' mind. It opens the door to something. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, uh, before we get into, we'll be going through 2, 1 through 13, but before we get there, let's do a quick review of uh, verses 26 and 27 of what Ed just talked about. So it reads, uh, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Uh, so what, what Pastor Jake last week talked about with true, true religion is loving the outcasts and caring for them, especially in the first century church that James was serving in. He was serving in the church in Jerusalem, so it was made up primarily of Messianic Jews, so the Jews who believed in Christ and who were now followers of Christ and who were beyond just their Jewish heritage and faith. Um, and as I was studying, there was, a, there was a famine that happened right around this time, right after Jesus passed away and for about 20 years. So there was a lot of people who were uh, out of work. Uh, there was hardly any food to go around. There was a lot of widows and orphans. Um, and so James was calling the church to a higher level of, of faithfulness and a transformed faith that looks like, hey, these people might not be your family, uh, they might not believe in Christ yet, but you are called to love them and care for them and to take care of them and to bring them into the body. Um, and so this is what James was recognizing in the church, and he saw this. And so he was calling everybody, not just the church in Jerusalem, but the churches that were being formed by Paul and some of the other apostles, apostles who were planting churches uh, throughout the known world at the time. Um, and so as we go into chapter 2, um, Debbie's going to talk about uh, how, how it, our faith goes beyond just widows and orphans. So do you want to read that really I quick? I will. I'll read James 2. And this is, um, this is a paraphrase. This is a message. So you can follow along, and I'll um, speak it in different words here. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, oh, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? Isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the worlds down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. Uh, I love that. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And, you know, we, we started talking about our favorites. Um, and is it okay to have favorites? And how is it different from favoritism? We all have preferences and favorites. 
But um, the reason that this chapter two follows chapter one is because back in that day, like Matt was saying, um, whether you were a widow or an orphan, your, your social economic status, like everything, um, was surrounding that. And nowadays things are different. So really what, what we believe uh, God's word is telling us is to really remove anything that's going to move up or move down or cause us to um, treat someone differently based on what we see. It's quite a, um, a different thing to have favorite items and, and hold on to those without projecting them onto other people and starting to make assessments in regard to them, whether they hold uh, same taste uh, in some just cultural things, but also uh, religious things. And uh, we need to understand when we are holding on to those things and when they lapse over and we're starting to make judgments, intrinsic judgments uh, about the person. I, I think uh, James 2.4 gives us the best definition if we want to take a definition straight from Scripture. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Now, my version says distinctions. What does yours say, Matt? Same thing. Oh, is yours yeah. distinctions? Um, verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm -hmm. You've been segregated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's dealing with partiality, preferential treatment given to some. This word here is often used for a judge who would take a bribe. You could imagine how frustrating that would be for you to be tried of something and you try to present your case, and the whole time, the judge is biased because he has taken a bribe. That's what favoritism is. That has no place in the church. So any uh, external litmus test you might give, such as race, uh, wealth... Um, Especially in, in the church, too, is, is, I think, really important for us to, to point out. So yes. he's talking to us. James is writing this. He's basically teaching us how to apply things that we've heard from Sermon on the Mount, different things like that. How do we actually apply it? So it's in the church. Yeah. That means here, whenever we get together, uh, whenever we're out and we're the church, which is most of the time, but especially when we gather here together because what God offers is for everyone. And who are we to think that one might need it less or might need it more? So, you know, that says that when someone comes in, it doesn't matter here in this place what they've done or what they're doing. Maybe if you're here, it doesn't matter where you've been or where you are, who you've been with or who you're with now, what that relationship looks like, not for us to talk about. Who you voted for, who you're supporting, how you talk, the gifts you have, your bank account, your people skills, your giftings. It's so important to recognize that this is harmful, not just for those who maybe come across as less attractive or less valuable, but even those that are more so. Imagine coming in and someone just looking at you and thinking, oh, well, you know, we don't need to welcome them. I'm sure they just have it all together. God wants to make sure the reason that favoritism is so awful is because it separates. It doesn't allow him to meet everyone where they are, and that's what Jesus does. Wherever you are, he meets you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and like you emphasized, Debbie, and what I want to make sure we understand, he is talking to us in the church. Uh, a great sermon I heard this week on this subject says, even culture, even our society 
values, uh, uh, because when we think about law, justice, justice for all, we understand how important that equal playing field is, uh, even outside the church. Okay, and if that's a value for non-Christians outside the church, how much more important is it that we demonstrate that quality inside the church? And that's why there's some strong language from James about judgment, about judgment. So it's okay to have best friends, but not at the exclusion of actively becoming a friend to others. It's okay to have a circle of good friends, but not at the exclusion of ignoring the outsider, the socially awkward, the poor, or the unclean. Or the really awesome, cool person, too. Yeah, I guess you could uh, put anybody up there and make a comparison and a a judgment that is inappropriate for you and for me and for us. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, something, uh, something, Ed, you said this week is that even uh, Jesus had his 12 disciples. He didn't, he didn't spend those three years of his ministry with the thousands of people because he had hundreds, if not thousands of people who followed him around uh, during his three years of ministry here on earth. He didn't disciple to every single one of those people. He discipled to those 12. And even within those 12, he had his three. Um, and so even Jesus had those people that he was spending more time with and investing relationship in, but that still doesn't give us excuse to leave the outcast. Because if we know anything about Jesus and what we saw in, his, in the Gospels is that the people he leaned towards and the people that he ran towards was those that the society casted away and is those that, that society counted as less than. Um, so two sides of the same coin. You can have best friends. You can have friends. Strongly encouraged. God created us for relationship. We are relational people. And on the other side, run towards the people who society count as less than. Because that, like Debbie said, is how God meets us on that level playing field. And that's how God comes into our heart. Um, And that's how he finds us, is through these relationships. Um, And so to sum that all up, you know, what these guys have said that, uh, there's a verse in Scripture that says, man judges the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, it's so easy for us to see somebody, like, like Scripture says, uh, for if a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, or what Debbie said in the message is that he's wearing a nice suit, um, it's easy for us to gravitate towards that person because what we see is how we put value on some people, especially that first impression. Um, but... God judges the heart. He looks at the heart. He cares about the condition of our heart. He cares about our thoughts that we think. Even when we don't say them out loud, say even we have tamed our tongue, like Scripture tells us, um, those thoughts are the first line of what the reflection of our heart is. Um, so that, that's really what James is calling us to, yeah. I think, here. Um, and so as we're, as we're going through this whole favoritism thing, you know, it's... I think it's a good idea to think about, okay, why is this such a big deal? Um, and I like stories, um, and Jesus used stories. He used parables, and one of the parables that I thought of during this whole thing was a Good Samaritan. Um, and I'm sure most of you know the story, but just a quick recap is that there was a man walking along a path, and a group of robbers beat him 
to near death and stole everything from him. Um, and a Levite and a priest both passed him by and thought, you know, I got more important things to do, and I really don't want to deal with that because that's not going to make me look good, and it's just going to throw off my whole day. So they just kept on walking. And then a Samaritan came by, um, and this is where we get the term, good Samaritan. Um, but in those days, Samaria was a place, was a, was a group of people that was so looked down upon. Um, the Jews thought they were much higher than them, and everybody else thought that they were much better than them and that they were evil and just terrible people. Um, but his parable says the Samaritan came along, saw pity on the man, picked him up, put him on his donkey, gave him took care of his wounds and took him to the closest town, gave two days' wages worth, the Bible says, two denarii, denarii uh, which is two days' worth. So when you think about it, I mean, if you're, you know, that's a lot of money um, to just give to a random stranger. And he took him to a place and told the owner of the inn, take care of him. Uh, here's, here's two days' wages. Um, get him upright. Get him fed. If there is anything more that you need, I will pay on top of that as well complete stranger from a, a society that people thought were just the worst saw pity on this man. And Jesus said, this is loving your neighbor. This is what this looks like. So, I, so here, you know, this is why God speaks about favoritism. He's like, if you have favoritism, you're going to be one of those two people who walked by. Because you're going to see, they don't serve me. They inconvenience me. Uh, they don't make me look good. Everything is self-seeking. It's self-centered. But God is telling us, do away with all favoritism. Love your neighbor. Love the person on the side of the street. And give them, give them clothing. Give them housing. Give them food. And take care of them. So this is, that's, I mean, a practical reason that we're all very familiar with, yeah. with favoritism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love what you said about a place of selfishness mm -hmm. because I think that that's another thing that James is trying to call us out of, of our sinful looking within. And, and you know, preferential treatment or favoritism always comes from a place of selfishness. <clears throat> it always does. So uh, we gain something from it. Mm -hmm. uh, it brings us pleasure, status, joy, maybe a good story, a moment of fame, mm. getting in with the newest and the shiniest. It always comes from a place of selfishness, not giving. It's convenient. It, it puffs us up. It makes us feel better. So I think that that's uh, really important for us to remember. Mm -hmm. So it's different than maybe having something that we enjoy or like, but wanting to show that favoritism and be drawn to it. And it's, it's human. It doesn't mean we don't love Jesus when it happens. It just means that the closer we stick to him, the more easily we'll be able to recognize it and then nip it in the bud, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think uh, the why is really important. Uh, like we talked in our meeting in preparation for, for this, uh, and we asked each other, uh, well, why? Why is God coming out so strong against favoritism, particularly in the church? And we all kind of had a different slant because I, I, I think we're looking for a biblical stronghold to counter it when it comes into our mind uh, because we know the tendency... For me, I, I come back to the character of God, um, uh, that we are created in God's image. And Romans 2, uh, I mean 12.2, tells us very clearly that God does not show partiality. And he was talking there because of the tension between the Greeks and the, uh, the Greek followers of Christ and the Hebrew followers of Christ. And all the tension we see 
throughout the New Testament. And here's all this squabbling by the followers of Jesus Christ. And it's like, Christ says, put it down. That's not your role. God himself shows no partiality. He values everyone because it's rooted in that all mankind is created in the image of God. And so Christians, we are not, you know, to show partiality. Have convictions about beliefs and values. Hold to those strongly, but recognize when you take those values and beliefs, and now you are starting to play the role of a judge and bestow value on the person, intrinsic value on the person. God tells us, in the end, He's going to make all things right. That is His job. Your job is to walk that delicate line between conviction and strongly held beliefs and articulating them and standing up for them, but in a way that also recognizes that person who differs with me is also created in the image of God. And so, what, what do you come up with when you kind of, you know, the why? Well, I think that really the goal of, of God's church is to share the gospel mm. and make it available um, to anyone who's seeking. And so, um, I don't know, there's probably some people here this morning who haven't quite let God fully love them. Some of you maybe have allowed him to love you for a long time, but try to think back to that point that you were at. And is that a place that you enjoyed being? Would you like to just go back to that spot? Like, I just think it's so important for us to understand that if Jesus were here, he would be so grateful and so thrilled to see anybody coming in. We just barely glance in his direction and he's right there and he just wants to fill us. And so for us to represent him, misrepresent him, those are... That, that's, that's a, it's a big deal. These are strong, strong words. We're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, And that really should be evident here more than any other place. Because if not, we're hindering the gospel, right? And there's strong words in God's word for people that are going to stand in the way of someone um, coming into full relationship with their creator, with their God. Yeah. Good so. point, good point. Just the presentation of the gospel uh, um, is important reason mm -hmm. to avoid the air of favoritism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So something uh, as we look further into uh, James two, uh, starting in verse eight, we start to read some things that might not make complete connection with favoritism when you look at it. Um, and I want to dig into that really quick. And so if we uh, start on verse eight. And then I'm going to read through 13 and just talk a little bit about it. So it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, like we've talked about already, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, another word for favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has to become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have been a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Um, and so this passage uh, comes right after talking about don't show favoritism. And then James brings in uh, two more of the Ten Commandments, which we find in the book of Exodus, 
um, and it's do not murder and do not commit adultery. Two rather high-profile <laughs> sins, as I would say. Um, even our society, as fallen as it is, recognizes that murder is pretty bad um, and that adultery is equally really bad. And so we're reading about favoritism, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, thank you. Thanks, James, this is great. And that we can all agree, oh, yeah, don't murder, and don't show adultery, and don't commit adultery. So why are these two things, three things, really, sandwiched next to each other? And, and really, it comes down to James as saying, like, these are on the same level. This is the same deal. Us showing favoritism, particularly in the church body and to those who aren't yet a part of it, is on the same level as murder and adultery, which I know sounds extreme, but this is the, the point that James is trying to drive home here, is this is, this is how critical favoritism really is. And favoritism, even as we were talking this week, we, we were seeing a couple really tiny things, and we're like, wait, hold on a sec. That's favoritism. And we're like, okay, that needs to be rooted out. And it's, just, it's so subtle, and it's so easy to slip into it. And I think James is calling us towards a very conscious effort, a conscious level of love your neighbor as yourself. And this is one of those key ways that we see that played out as. Yeah. Anything that that's going to separate us from that relationship with Christ, mm -hmm. murder, adultery, favoritism, anything that will keep us from, from really living out his will is going to separate us. And so that's why it doesn't really matter. There's not really any level of separation, just separation is separation. Um, and another thing about this is it gets us, gets our eyes off of the Lord when we want to look at each other. So I'm going to be looking over there. I'm going to be looking over there. I'm going to you know, comparing or questioning or judging. And really, when we all just look to the Lord, that's where our eyes need to be. And that's when he will just enable us and empower us to live out what he wants. Uh, one of my very favorite verses is in Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses in there, so I'll give you the number. <laughs> it's 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And I have prayed this since I was a teenager, just getting caught up in all the things. The enemy likes to have shiny things around for us to look at and get distracted, whether it's judging someone, whether it's wanting more for ourselves. Really, turning our eyes away from those things is a prayer that we all, I believe, want to pray. Turn our eyes away from that. Let us look to you and just really preserve our life according to your word because that's what's everlasting. I, I really um, like verse 13 here um, where it tells us, uh, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And, and what a great slogan. Hang on to this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, now, I want you to look at verse 5 in light of that. Uh, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Poor people, poor people generally recognize the need for mercy. It's evident to them. It's the rich that can create this illusion, this sense of self-sufficiency 
They have a, we read in Scripture how it's harder for the rich to surrender themselves and recognize their dependence upon Jesus Christ. And this is telling us mercy triumphs over judgment. Your mercy that you recognize you need is only possible because God, through Jesus Christ, took your judgment upon himself, thereby allowing you to experience mercy. And wow, if God has done that for you, if you really stop and contemplate the state of the human soul uh, uh, in a fallen condition, the incredible expression of mercy is pretty dramatic. Um, and I think we all recognize that, and that's why it's important that we understand the insidious nature whereby favoritism can creep itself in unaware. And we see um, favoritism early on in the church in Acts 6. We studied that here recently, where the apostles, and there was a complaint coming to the apostles because they had this uh, exercise of the daily distribution of goods. And some people lodged a complaint that the Hellenistic um, or the Greek-speaking widows were not getting fair treatment. The Hebrew widows were dominating. Favoritism was being showed to the Hebrew widows over the Greek. And the disciples looked at it, and they formulated a committee. And what is uh, um, significant in that, I was told from my research, all the apostles have Hebrew names. Those that formulated this committee for the distribution of good to respond to the complaint were Hellenistic or Greek names. See, the apostles knew even then the, the bent of a person's mind and heart to carry biases, and they had to figure out ways that they could safeguard or protect themselves from acting from those biases. And so we just want to conclude by asking each one of us, well, how do you go about that? You know, how do you recognize it and then remove this favoritism as it creeps up, uh, you become aware of it? Debbie, do you have something there? Or yeah, I'll go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, something that we talked about this week was, um, which we've talked about already, and we talk about every single Sunday here, is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And also, keeping in mind what the gospel is, right? Pastor Derek, probably 95% of his sermons... He always talks about the gospel as the good news that rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's the good news. That's the gospel. Keeping that in mind and at the forefront is saying, okay, here we are. I'm saved. Ed is saved. Debbie's saved. But there was life before uh, before salvation for us, whether that was we we're young kids or we were adults, we're told that all are fallen, all of us are broken, that we're, that we're bound in sin, but 
now we have freedom in Christ. All of us have the same salvation. All of us have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are all equal on the same level and the same ground. And one of these things that I read this week that I loved that I think wraps us up is recognizing that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no platform for people who have made more money or have uh, pastored bigger churches or have made larger businesses that they get a front row seat to the cross or they get a step stool at the cross. So they're more, they're higher up than everyone else, even though everybody's there. That's not how it is. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all get to experience eternal life with Christ. Whether you were saved when you were older in life or whether you were six years old and by your bedside with your parents, salvation is salvation. It's all the same. Uh, Life in heaven is all the same. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ, and that's how Jesus sees all of us. And I think that gives us a beautiful perspective and a very clear lens of how to look at others when we see them. I love that, yeah. And maybe even if you just come to Jesus today, doesn't matter, like Matt said, you know, who served him the longest, who served at how many vacation Bible schools, (laughs) who's told other people about Jesus, who's known on the neighborhood street as being a good neighbor, and who's the one that their dog always gets out and everybody hates (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, My dog. But, yeah, and I think that sometimes we get a false sense of security, and that's why, you guys, the enemy is not going to let up on this. It's great that we're all talking about it, but he won't let up, and I'll tell you why. It's because when we start doing this, we start feeling a little bit better about ourselves when we start thinking about the things that maybe we've done or the place that we've been. I mean, and that's why God calls us every day to meet him, just to go before the cross every day, be reminded of all that he has filled us with and done for us. And he can do that wherever you are. You meet him today and that's it. I mean, it's just, it, it's a beautiful. And it's such an important special gift for us to share with other people. Um, the enemy doesn't want us to do it. He wants us to look around and be consumed with each other. Or who's not here? Who went to the beach today? Who's not here this morning? You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank the Lord for a beautiful day. I hope somebody went to the beach and they're praising God there. You know, he wants us to do that because it's going to hinder the growth of the kingdom, which is what we are called to do. And it's beautiful. And we accepted it. Remember where we were when we got it, where we are still lacking. And, um, you know, just be intentional about it. Pray that Psalm 119. Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Uh, One other step that uh, may help you that certainly helps me as I think about uh, my combating uh, tendency towards favoritism. You know, first you got to hear the voices in your head that uh, are telling you, well, at least I didn't do that, I'm better, or or you snub somebody, uh, whatever it be, um, is because... um, uh, let me get my bearings here. Um, oh, I asked uh, ask myself, God, what am I trying to get from favoritism? What need within me gravitates and goes there? And then what is the biblical truth that can feed that? If it's your insecurity, if it's my insecurity, 
you got to deal with the equal ground at the cross and surrender your, your need for uh, um, people's uh, gratification. Uh, uh, um, so you, again, like we talked about James and all the topics, whether how you uh, respond to trials, how you respond sometimes to the discrepancy in your own life and you hear, hear the guilt because the difference between hearing and doing is not in sync. Whether it's you put that mirror in front and you start to realize, you know, there, uh, as much as I don't like to uh, see it, there is some seeds of favoritism deeper within me that God wants to remove. We need to have the courage to let the Spirit do that work. And we're going to look at some others. But again, the whole reason he does that is because of liberty. See, this is the path for your freedom. It's not because God is a, a um, um, uh, what do you call it, you know, a heavy-handed, trying to make life miserable. It's just the opposite. The way out of the pit of favoritism is freedom for you and I. And I so like, I, let's just keep that uh, phrase that you reminded us as, as I close in prayer, uh, the ground at the cross. How you say it, Matt? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Ground is level. Father, God. Oh, wait, wait. Before I close in prayer, no. I want to make anything else? <laughs> anything else? Okay. I'm good. <laughs> and either one of you can also close, but I'll... I'll close this. Father, God, oh my goodness, we live in such a murky world and culture because, oh my, there's just so many issues that have divided and created tension within our society, and sometimes this tension has carried over here in the church. God, we just don't know uh, very well how to hold on deeply held uh, values and beliefs while at the same time not put those up there uh, um, as though we are a judge of what you are doing intrinsically within the life and heart of people. So God, we need to do a better job to brothers and sisters in the church so that as we walk uh, out in the world, it's just a, a natural byproduct. God, you were uh, condemned by the religious elite for being a friend to sinners. You knew what you were about. You weren't saying it was okay to sin but you saw the soul, the lostness, the hurting, the disenfranchised, the loner, the separated, and your heart cried for them that you overlooked a lot to press in. So God help us. Amen.